Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. We are here to tell you to remind everybody about the New York City contest slash giveaway, however you want to call it, Operation Foglift, the New York City edition. So go to our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com and sign up. Mm-hmm. It's just sign up for the mailing yeah. list and you will automatically be entered to win a ticket. So two winners will be chosen on December 19th. What this weekend entails is February 2nd. It's a happy hour with Louise and I hosting mm-hmm. in New York City. Then February 3rd is Operation Foglift at the Power Station in Berkeley, New York City. And then February 4th, the, it will also include a writing and healing workshop with Dr. Liz DeBetta. So you definitely want to enter for this. For sure. You'll be getting a stipend of $1,500 to use for hotel and flight mm-hmm. and all that stuff. The movie is comped. And so, yeah, we can't wait to meet everybody. And Yeah. And our sponsor is underwriting a lot of this for everybody. Yes. S12F. Jeff from S12F. I just realized that rhymes. Jeff from S12F. I just realized it too when you said it. (laughs) Here's another thing, everybody. December 19th is going to be our season finale, which you won't want to miss. And the drawing. So it's like, yeah, that's that's an episode to tune in for. Get on early and listen. All right. See you in New York. See you in New York. If you missed our first ever fog lift in Nashville, don't worry, because New York City is shaping up to be even more incredible. You'll get to party with us on Friday night. Then watch the film Reckoning with the Primal Wound and my one-woman show, Unmothered, on Saturday in the iconic Berkeley College of Music's Power Station Theater. Aren't you offering an intimate writing session on Sunday too, Liz? Yes, I'm offering a small workshop for anyone interested on Sunday. Tickets are now available, but space is limited. So please tell anyone you know who wants to listen to adoptees about their experience of adoption through the arts to come to Operation Foglift, New York City edition. So we just got off of our first Patreon group Zoom. It was so Fun. We actually went like yes. we'd scheduled it for a half hour. We went for an hour. It was so great. We went for an hour, and I am giving a personal apology to Lisa in the UK who did yeah. join <laughs> at the wrong time that I gave. Oh my goodness! Yeah. We have to start using our world clock on our we phones do have to, to tell us what time clock. it is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all that said, that is for our ten dollar a month Patreon. So if you want to join us, we're doing this once a month. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to shoot, shoot usually for the first Saturday of each month. Yeah. And that is what it will be um, January 6th at 1 PM Eastern time. Next that, time. It's just a mm-hmm. universal. Yeah. Next time, 1 PM. So if you want to, if you want to join us and join this group, that is really fun. It's like, just it was kind of like sharing our coffee on a Saturday morning. And we're going to have an icebreaker topic. We don't know what it'll be. And then we'll just kind of free form after that. So yeah. do join our Patreon $10 level so that we can meet once a month. It was so great. I loved it was every wonderful of it. for us. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And by the way, Patrick Haas, who signed up, you, we had Thomas all by himself with a lot of women. So yeah. Where were you? <laughs> yeah. Thomas could use some gender support. <laughs> Just kidding, Thomas. That might not be true. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> it was neat. Anyway. Okay. See you. Okay. Again, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, S12F, fellow adoptee, friend, someone who will be in New York. So thank you very much for your support. We appreciate you. In today's episode, we are Wrapping Up the Baby Thief by Barbara Besance Raymond. This is it, the final chapter. And then we will be speaking to fellow adoptee Shelley. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Louise. It's the beginning of the end, literally. Okay. Can I just say, yay? 
to be done with this book. Again, no offense to Barbara, the writer. Very well written. Just yes. Such very well researched. Very well researched. Yes. Yes. Just oh, but yeah. So now we're going to the basically the activism to get the laws changed. <laughs> What, you yeah, wanna, what were you going to say? Do you want to talk about, we're starting our new season, December 26th. <gasps> yes, yes, season yes. season six. And who are we reading? So we are reading Susan Keo Ito's book, I Would Meet You Anywhere. We're really excited. We know mm-hmm. Susan through our adoptee circles. Yeah. She's really got a great story. Then we'll have her on for the season finale. But here's also what's great. If you, and it, it's not going to be a <laughs> You can actually get this book and read along with us. We're going to have a discount code for you. So we're going to put the link in our show, in notes. Our show notes today and moving forward up into like through the whole time. But at any rate, if you want to join us in reading, you get a 30% discount on the book. So that's really yeah. exciting. And we Just, know a lot of you adoptees out there are ordering this book because people love Susan. Yeah. So order it and wait, read it with us. Ta-da. Wait and read it with us and get the discount here. Yep, so definitely. We'll have the link in our show notes today. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, back to the The end of it. The Mm -hmm. baby thief. You and and I were talking before we came on because basically she's wrapping up a ton of stuff that was the fallout, right? Mm -hmm. It's like that came from it. But one thing you and I discovered that we liked about this section was that Billy Hale, who we've been talking about, ends up. Yeah, he was kind of featured throughout Mm -hmm. the whole book becomes a major, I mean, he was really troubled and traumatized and he became mm-hmm. a major advocate and helper and work and helping to find not even just adoptees, right? Mm-hmm. But like he went missing to, kids. to work with missing kids and really helped so many people. And also a bright note for him was that when he went to meet a child, he fell in love with the child's mother and like yeah. for the first time in his life, like really had love and yeah, and they got married wow. three months later. And yeah. And he worked with the FBI. I mean, he did some big stuff. And what I also liked was there's some people who really got into this too, because he was a country western fan. Willie mm-hmm. Nelson, Charlie Daniels, Naomi Judd. They all started to help look for adoptees that were missing, foster cares, missing children. Light of this, I thought. The main crux of this chapter, the beginning, the end, and really like the end of Georgia Tam was just about how then, you know fighting that Tennessee law. And yeah. they did. Georgia's victims were allowed to get their records opened. And th- yeah. but then it became, well, what about the indirect victims? And then there was some real money behind that not happening. And they um, blamed it on birth mothers not wanting to know their right, well, children. Which was, I mean, there was a line that said yeah. something like, no, that's what oh, they that was used. The, first, the yeah, angle that's what they used. that they mm-hmm. used. But really, they were doing all this to keep yeah, their protect. adopted parents intact. But this was all what I thought. So I'll read this part. The Tennessee legislature's passage of an open records law and the possibility of a chain reaction had alarmed Pat Robertson and his allies Mm -hmm. and prompted the filing of the Tennessee class action suit. The lawsuit was brought by Small World Ministries, the only adoption agency in the state affiliated with the National Council for Adoption a Washington, D.C.-based lobbying organization. Mm. NCFA gets its funding largely from adoption agencies who try to placate insecure adoptive parents by trying to keep the adoptees and birth parents apart. And there you go. And this is still happening. That's still happening. Still going on. In California, it's still happening right here where I live. I mean, sure, some states have opened up, but like, as I've talked about on this podcast, even I, when I went to get my unredacted records, just... Merely a few weeks ago, had to petition a judge and send him obituaries of my biological parents. <laughs> That's okay. Hello. I'm, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. At any rate, this is an ongoing fight. Some of the fallout was they had from it, Bastard Nation got Oregon to open up birth certificates. And we will say that Kansas was already open and Alaska, mm-hmm. always open once you're always 18, open. which is shout out to those states. Um, nine other states followed, Colorado, Hawaii, Indiana, Montana, Michigan, Ohio, Oklahoma, Washington, Vermont. And then, I mean, it's kind of neat because Tennessee is a really conservative state in many ways, but because of, they were embarrassed. That's how it originally started too. New lawmakers came in, they were embarrassed by their history, mm-hmm. as they should have been. And 
you know, it just goes to show if we keep talking about this and today, I mean, you can make change. Greg, our friend is making change. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then we get to the epilogue and you realize, you know, and it goes into today's trafficking. You know, today, most child stealing occurs in poor countries like Guatemala, <laughs> India, Indonesia, Thailand, Cambodia, Samoa, and China. The brokered children are mm-hmm. both the benefactors and victims of the fact that adoptive parents are now eager to adopt children of all races. By the way, this was written 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I was going to so say. We yeah. do know that adoptions have been closed in many countries. Yes. Still, yeah. that doesn't stop the trafficking. You know, even though it was 10 years ago, that's very current history. And she did even say, you know, some movie stars started to adopt certain places, which just made the market. Angelina Jolie yeah. was one of those that adopted. Madonna. Yep. Madonna from Africa. Here's what many of these current day brokers seem somewhat like Georgia Tan clones. Typical mm-hmm. is an American. I love to call them out. And say their names here on our podcast. And again, this was 10 years ago, but typical is an American broker, Lauren Galindo. Between 1997 and 2001, she made $8 million mm-hmm. by arranging 800 adoptions of Cambodian children by unwitting Americans, including the actress Angelina Jolie, who adopted a son through Galindo in 2003. Yeah. Like Georgia's birth mothers, Galindo's were impoverished. And like Georgia, Galindo used spotters, baby recruiters who located vulnerable women in destitute rural areas. It yeah. goes on and on yeah. and, and how on. About, and it will continue to go on continue. and on as long as there are people wanting babies. Yeah. And even though the laws haven't changed in China, there was some stuff. This is 2006. They found babies on a luggage rack that were drugged and in little net yeah, things. Yeah. Like, you know, not even what you do to animals. One baby was just dead and they were just taking babies to sell. And now, you know, like look at just oh, in the last, uh, since the Ukrainian war, mm-hmm. all of that going on. I mean, it's just, it's a never ending. It's a, it's it's, a way it's, to... it's like the mole game, right? And they, one gets yeah. popped down and another one pops up. It's a continuous fight that we have to always yes. have our eyes open about. One thing that maybe we should end on because the author was an adopted mother, a mother who adopted her daughter, Beth. She helped her find her birth family. Her parents ended up marrying. So she was the only one that was given up. All four of her brothers were in her wedding. And she has a line in here I kind of liked. She said that she had, oh yeah, here we go. Living with her family the following summer and continued to visit them frequently, Beth filled the gap that had always pained her. Her family got the chance to know her and love her. And I, who felt threatened by Beth's search, which I think is pretty cool, she's like admitting that, learned that love isn't finite and that adoptive parents who help their children search sometimes become even closer to them than they were before. So yeah, I think that's I mean, a good message. That, that just seems like basic psychology that everybody could understand that, you know, yeah. in any relationship, if you hold on tight and yeah. you're not like, if you just let go and trust, yeah. <laughs> you know, about, it's the same over yes. all relationships. Sarah, you're so right. <laughs> like you said that and I'm like, Neil Young, love is a thorn. You better not pick it, right? It only grows when it's on the vine. I mean, it's true. It seems so basic, but even for this author who knew so much, it was still threatening it to her. It still was threatening. I know. But I like that she just sat back and said, this is for my daughter. You have to mm-hmm. be the mature adult. And that's a lesson. 100%. I just like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be looking forward to Susan's book. I <laughs> Me will not too. miss I, this book. I Georgia, cleanse, done cleanse with from you. It. Yeah, done with you, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> We're all done with you. Um, all right. Well, we have a good guest yeah, coming up. We sure do. And, uh, and Louise, we'll see well, you in a minute. We'll see you in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, Sarah, I wanted to talk to you about our magic mind again. Oh, and, and this isn't BS. As everyone knows, I've been sick because I'm a big complainer about it. But I got up this morning very. <laughs> I'm lethargic. here to witness. Witness. Here to witness. <laughs> I got up very lethargic, kind of grouchy, like everybody. And I was like, okay, do your magic mind. I jammed the last two hours, and I'm meeting here with you and feeling like, oh, this stuff really kicks in. It I does. Think. It's good. And guess what? Becker, my son, when he was visiting, he drank like two of them. I'm like, no. That's mine. <laughs> That's what I do at home. <laughs> Stockpile. Yes. And did he like it? Yeah, he really liked it. He'd heard of it already. So, yeah. 
I've been seeing them places too. I've been seeing them in different like recommendations and newsletters and health food things. So it's all natural. It's green drink. It's good for you. Yeah. And really tasty. And it's just kind of like a natural way to focus. It's really good for focus. We're lucky, you know, you need to, to but they, yeah, well for now, hopefully they'll keep, but if they don't, I'll subscribe and get some, which is, that's kind of like the key here is to subscribe yeah, and get it. And you can get it through us through. Yeah. You can get it. Yeah. You can go on that link. You can go to magicmind.com and put adoption 20 and you get a discount and that's pretty yeah. cool because they gave a generous discount on the subscription for that. We just love them. I think I love great. it. Yeah. So you can find Magic Mind, which is the world's first productivity shot. You can find it at magicmind.com. Just so you know, it's scientifically designed to boost energy, enhance focus, create a sense of calm, alertness, and increase your overall productivity. Magic Mind just might become the best part of your morning ritual. And like I said last time, it sure has. It really has. I'm I'm yeah. all for it. And I'm sorry you have to witness my complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. As I you know. know. <laughs> Go magic mind. Go magic mind. Hi there. We're here for another interview. And today we have someone joining us from Slinger, Wisconsin, which I like that name, who found us on social media through mutual friends. And she goes by Shelly, but her birth name is Amy Lynn. And she likes that. And if you look for her on social media, that's how you'll find her. Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you. You. It's nice to be here. It is nice to see you after if we couldn't see you for a minute there because we, <laughs> we're all working on our, our recording systems. So let's dig in. Tell us your story from the beginning and how you want to get into it. I was born in 1970, baby scoop era adoptee. Adopted into a typical, nice American family. Um, in I Wisconsin? In Wisconsin, yep. I've okay. always been in the same area within a half an hour of where I live now. I was adopted. My parents had one other daughter who was their biological child. She's seven years older than me. I believe they struggled with fertility issues with her and had her and then didn't think they could have any other children. So they adopted me and were seven years apart. Normal, typical, middle class nice family life. They were always open about my adoption. I always knew that I was adopted. I can't say I always understood what that meant. It meant different things to me at different ages, I would say. But I never thought much about it, I would say. It's interesting to me now that I'm like trying to discover everything. Back then, I really, I feel like I didn't want to. I just felt like it was a story more than anything. This happy little story they told me. My parents, you know, were in college or get just finishing high school, something like that is what they told me. And just, it wasn't a good time for them. So they, you know, loved me so much. They chose to give me up for adoption. And my parents were always very open. If you want to search, we'll help you, those kind of things. But to be honest, we didn't really talk about it very much. I feel that I didn't ask much. So there wasn't much conversation about it. I'm sure they thought about it, you know, watching me grow up. But I think if I wasn't asking, they weren't going to. Say and much about even it. though you had an age difference, were you close to your sister? I would say, I feel like when we were really little, maybe, but it, just that age difference, we had such different lives. I don't remember. There's a lot of times I don't remember her really being in the house because she probably wasn't being seven years older. You know, she left for college for one year and then didn't stay in school, but, and then got pregnant and had a baby at 21, so was out of the house. So I feel like there's very scattered memories of growing up with her. I'm told, you know, she was very excited when they got me and said she wouldn't, when they did the official adoption, she said they wouldn't trade me for all the money and all the banks in the world. (laughs) I'm sure that has, (laughs) I'm sure she's changed her mind on that by now, but (laughs) at the time, you know, (laughs) she was excited, (laughs) but I'm sure it's impacted her as well. So we just went along with life. Yeah. People ever asked, we tell them the happy little story. It was never a challenge for me to talk about it. They would, you know, always ask those questions. People always ask adoptees. And I basically just said, I just wish I knew if I look like somebody. I think that's all I really cared about at the time. Mm -hmm. So I we didn't have a problem talking about it, but we didn't go my parents didn't go around telling everyone either, unless it was the the right situation. It would come up. They were very open about it, but they also didn't announce it like this is my adopted child. Nothing like that. 
I feel like there's times I even really forgot to be honest because yeah. the family was so blended. So I feel like they did everything that they were told to do correctly at that time. I can't say now looking back, everything was correct, but for the time, I think they tried their best to make it really comfortable for me. And what do you know about why I'm assuming it was fertility issues and everything, but did they know anything about who gave you up or your biological mom or anything? Did they have any story about that? It was very minimal. I always just remember they said, they told me they were finishing high school and wanted to go on to college. That's the story they told me. So I'm assuming that's the story they were told. They didn't have much other information. They always told me I was fully Polish. It was my ancestry. And they just said my mom was very, you know, tiny, like five foot tall, very petite. And my dad was five, eight. Those are all the things I got. And I'm five, two. So those are the only stars I remember hearing. She was very tiny and I was very, you know, a petite person. So And they knew you were Polish. Yeah. And they got that information, which is funny. Now that I know I am, my mom's family is a hundred percent Polish, but my dad's whole family's Irish. So I grew up all these years. Nobody mentioned the Irish part. So I'm a little sad and feel a little gypped that I didn't. I had the Hungarian. I knew I was Hungarian, but like that was it. But I was, and I turned out to be a Hungarian, but it's a strange, like, where's the other half? (laughs) Right. So I felt like I just assumed I was all Polish and it's funny, but I feel like there was a back then, like this thing about being Polish, like people joke, you know, Polak or things like that. So I felt like it's something that I didn't want to be that now it sounds silly to me. I embrace that. But when I was young, maybe because people did tease that way, I was like, well, I'm just going to be what my adoptive parents are German and English. So I just kind of didn't go with the Polish thing. And I'm not sure what, you know, who made me feel that way, but. Yeah. I had the same thing. Cause it was all about being hungry, like some weird thing. So I would just say I was German, <laughs> like, Oh, I'm like my parents, right? Like German right. and Brit and English, same thing. Yeah. You get so, a choice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you had a good relationship growing up with your parents or. Yeah. We always had a good relationship. Like I said, my sister and I, the age gap, I think I never felt like she wanted me around and things like that. But I think that was just that seven years older. I just always felt that. And now looking back deeper, there is probably more to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Adoption caused her some trauma, Mm -hmm. too, that I wasn't aware of, you know. But other than that, yeah, good parental relationship. I mean, I went through all the typical teen years and all of that, thinking it was normal. And now, too, looking back, I can say there were a lot of struggles I had that were probably definitely connected to adoption at the time. I didn't connect that. I just thought, well, that's just me. Or you kind of think, oh, something's maybe wrong with me. And you just, I feel like I bottled it up. You know, therapy wasn't a big thing then. That was very, you know, people think highly of that. You thought, you know, if you're seeing a therapist, something was wrong with you. I know my parents took good care of my health. If something would have been really blatant, they would have done that for me, but it just wasn't the norm then. So unless I was probably really having struggles, like maybe an eating disorder or suicidal ideation, they would have done more. So I feel like that would have really helped me with all my struggles, but it was, that was the time. It was the same. I just thought I was weird, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't discuss that. I'm just weird. (laughs) Exactly. I just think that I struggled with just relationships, Mm -hmm. friends, things, dating things. Now looking back, if I knew then what I know now, it would have been so different. How I would have yes, right. That, that trying to latch on or fear of being left kind of things, and that interfered with some friendships. I had some great friendships and had you know fun high school years and college years. You know, that was great times. But if I really do look at things, there were a lot of relationships that could have been better or different mm-hmm. had I been able to process my past trauma. And have you gotten to, not to jump ahead, but so obviously you're through the looking glass at the moment, seeing what could have been, but don't you kind of feel, at least from so many adoptees we talk to, it isn't really until later in life that you can start to mm-hmm. connect those dots and process that trauma because having to be protective of, protective maybe isn't the right word, but keeping things intact so that they don't all fall apart. If you have those realizations early, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I paid a lot of lip service and therapy. Yeah, I was adopted. I know, you know, I know I have abandonment issues, but I didn't really emotionally connect that or 
spiritually no. connect that. You know, it doesn't, I think that's maybe true for even people that aren't adopted. Sometimes that trauma doesn't, you can't connect to it until later in life. I don't know. Right. And I, of course, I think therapy would help anybody. <laughs> it's yes. helpful for everyone for different things. So I think it would help me, but it's true. Maybe had they forced me into that, I probably would have been completely opposed to it, you know, rejected it, you know, been rebellious. Also, there weren't, there weren't therapists specializing in adoption no. at the time. There yeah. barely are now, but it wasn't really studied. Relinquishment trauma wasn't a topic. No. So right. you probably would have felt the same thing. You're just weird. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't yeah. have associated with adoption. Some don't even ask if you're adopted. Right. No, they yeah. don't. It might not have even been helpful, but had we known then what we know now, I think you look back and think, wow, things could have been so different. Mm-hmm. Just the reading alone, the things we yeah. absorb now and get off of the internet and just that I had no knowledge like you. What tell so what, how did everything start to happen for mm-hmm. you? I think it would have been my late thirties before my adoptive mother passed away. When she was getting sick, I started to just think about, you know, those things. You have moments where you're like, hmm, maybe I should know some of these things. Or maybe when she's gone, I'll be sad or want somebody around. And it yeah. just kind of came into mind. And she passed away when I was 40. And I know I had been had thinking you about- had kids up to that point or yeah, I had my first son at 30, my second son at 35. And honestly, during that, I don't think I thought about it at all. Everyone said that was their time. I don't think I even thought about my birth mother or birth father, other than being so excited that I look like somebody. That was a big thing for me, seeing if I look like somebody. Mm -hmm. Being a mom was always so important to me. That was just a part of life. You were going to be a mom. I wanted that so much. I was always very nurturing as a child, like playing with dolls, things like that. So I feel like, too, I think that was a part of it as well. I just didn't understand why it was so important to me. So when I had my sons, it was great to have people that finally look like me. I remember people would even say something about them looking like my husband. I think inside I felt like it hurt me a little, you know, I didn't see anything, but inside I was like, no, like they have to look like me, you know? So that part of it, but other than that, when I had my sons, I didn't think much about it. I think it was really when my mom got sick and was dying and she passed away when I was 40 I started to really think about it. But again, I would think about it. I'd Google some things about looking up Wisconsin laws or what's going on. And I would see, oh, there's forms you fill out and fees. And then it would just kind of go out of my mind because life was busy with two little boys. So I didn't think much about it. And it was a process. Things weren't as online. Then you had to fill out all this paperwork. It just seemed tedious. And not that it was that expensive, but it's just another thing to pay for or send in checks. So I I would forget about it again. And again, I remember looking at the rules, seeing, making sure to see if I could look for stuff, but they couldn't find out things. Like I wanted to be able to see what I wanted to see (laughs) and then know that I had my privacy. Yeah. I'm not sure why I I look back and I think I had this fear of them. Like, I think that's maybe why I kept it in my subconscious as a child. I know other adoptees say they always wondered and had these fantasies. I don't believe I did. But for some reason, I thought like it it scared me, like they would have been strangers. They weren't the people that raised me. They weren't my parents in my eyes. So I think I felt more afraid of that. Like if they came around, I think I would have been afraid. And I don't think my adoptive parents did anything like tried to make me afraid of them because they kept the story very basic. Oh, they just were high school students wanting to finish college. You know, they didn't say anything demeaning, but I think I had this fear of what I would find. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't think I could have came from anyone good or you had this assumption if they gave you up to your mom there was something wrong with her mm-hmm. so i think this i had is, that too like well i, I think I that's a societal thing yes, i don't think is. any any it's yeah. layered in we don't mm-hmm. even know yeah this is deep subconscious fear that there was either something wrong with them yeah they weren't going to be good people and it scared me so when i did start to look i was like more concerned about my own privacy And then after my mom passed away, like I said, I started thinking about it more and more and getting older. I'm like, wow, I'm a nurse. Medical information is important. I should get this for my son. So finally in 2018, I really was like, I need to do this. I need to make a point of doing this. And I told my husband and he's like, sure, why not? Like, what could go wrong? I think he literally said that, (laughs) like, what's the big deal? (laughs) He's like, if you find them and it's not a good situation, we just don't connect. And And I'm like, yeah, exactly. 
no big deal at all. <laughs> and you told your sons too? And originally I'd been thinking about either doing it all myself with nobody knowing at first. And then I said, well, I need my husband involved. And then I decided just our family, the four of us would be involved and they were all on board with it. So just the four of us knew at first. And I promised myself January 1st of 2019 that I had, I got my kit and I've been in my tube on January 1st. I filled out my paperwork for the state of Wisconsin, did everything on that day mm-hmm. when I was at home. I just remember it was kind of a big day to start the process. And what came of that? Well, I first got information from the state. It was, she was communicating with me saying she got my paperwork and everything and she was going to be the person helping me on February 13th, which is really strange because that was the day of my relinquishment my court date. She called me and said she had found my birth mother and she is alive. And she couldn't tell me location or anything, but she said, I have spoke to her. She said she was just really in shock, obviously, when I called her and wondered if you were okay, you know, and like what, you know, like kind of why now maybe after, you know, 48 years or whatever it was at the time. And then they asked her, you know, how she wanted to proceed. And she said, well, I just need to talk to my husband. So she called me and told me all this. And then she was able to read a bunch of uh, the unredacted information for me, which was really mm-hmm. helpful. She's like, oh, it looks like, you know, there's a lot of professional people in your family and just read all these nice things, I think, to comfort me and make me know it was okay. So I waited. It's nice to know there's some decent people in the system doing this. <laughs> right, right. So I was kind. But it, it felt good, you know, at the time. Yeah. So I, she's like, you just, you know, patience is key. I'm not going to you know, call her every day and bother her, just give it some time. So over the next few weeks, she kind of communicated with me and said, okay, I haven't heard back. I'm just going to wait, be patient. And about a week and a half later, I got my DNA results. With those, it was on Ancestry. I had like maybe a third cousin, but when I looked up the cousin on Facebook, I'm like, wow, she's older than me, lives on a lake right near me. This is really interesting me. And then I looked, we had mutual Facebook friends. <laughs> um, somebody I went to nursing school with was friends with her. So I'm like, oh, that's a good way I can connect with This her. was your first cousin? A third cousin. Oh, a third, third cousin. So distant, but I'm like, yeah, well, I can use this mutual Facebook friend just to say, hey, you know, this person that's going to message you is not crazy. You know, I know her. We went to nursing school together. I found out this third cousin was also a nurse, which was interesting. Huh. So I got a search angel right away and she's like, oh yeah, with this information, give me a few days, but I can probably figure this out for you. And she also advised if I wanted to go onto the other DNA sites and transfer my raw DNA for free. So I'm like, sure. So a couple of days later, I wake up in the morning to a ding on my phone. I look and I have my heritage results and I open it up and I match to my birth mother and my birth father. And I was Uh-oh shocked it's like 5 a.m I'm like oh my god is this what I think it is so I sent it to her right away she's like yeah that's what you think it is she's like you know they must be looking for you they are both on there and then she's like let me just do some research so right away she did some research she's like I think they're still together she's like your mom uses both last names but it appears they're together they live in New Mexico now Um, she was able to pull up all kinds of stuff that's why she had to speak to her husband Right, right, exactly. Well, and I was thinking it was going to be a different husband. Right, right, yeah. Like I have to tell him now. Yes. Yeah. So I was excited, and I didn't know how to proceed. But I sent them each a separate message on my heritage, just a very obviously polite general message. So I'm like, okay, let's wait and see. And then in the meantime, I did contact the person at the state and let her know I got my results. And I feel like once I told her that, even though she and I had talked about people do that, I feel like once I told her that the whole feeling changed. She got more clothes. She would listen to me. I felt like you can listen to somebody and say, you know, I can't confirm anything you're saying. You could be compassionate. But I feel like all that that was there at the beginning was lost. And Hmm. I just felt like it became negative. And if I could Hmm. go back, I don't know if I'd even tell her now that I found out what I did. I I wonder what that was all about. I don't know. I wonder Control something? Control, being afraid of saying the wrong thing, all the laws. You know, and then oh. she did. I asked her to send me all my redacted papers for now. She's like, we can wait to see if she's oh. going to. You're like, no. Yeah. She's like, we can wait to see if the, your mom's going to agree to like open them all up or we I can send them now redacted. I'm like, we'll send them now redacted. We can change it later. So she sent them and it was interesting to be able to read through all that. But she didn't miss a single thing redacting. I know people say sometimes they miss stuff. I looked through that and she had everything covered up. 
Huh. Now I knew the information. So I don't know if she thought I was being maybe cocky that I knew the information. I don't know, but so strange. It just like, hello, I'm a baby. This is my birth. And I've still never seen mine. I've never, I've wrote to Colorado still. And my parents didn't have it. I don't have my non-identifying, even though I know things, I'd still like to see it. Right. As a nurse, I feel like there's a way to keep privacy and just say, I'm so sorry. You know, I can't share this, but be compassionate with my conversations with her. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't talk a lot. Then in the meantime, I, my search angel was looking up all the information, gathering stuff about me. So you had sent a message though on my heritage. Yeah. So I sent a message and who knows if they even saw it. I found out they had retired. They did their DNA the end of 2017. And I did mine at the beginning of 2019. So literally a year apart. So when they did theirs is when I was really thinking about doing mine. I just hadn't done it. And I can see my birth father did his first. And then she did hers a couple of days after Christmas. And I did later find out they got it as a Christmas gift or he gave it to her as a Christmas gift. So in the meantime, I was just waiting, being patient. I'm like, they're 69 years old. I have time. Let's just wait this out. I had their phone numbers and everything at this point because you just Google and everything yeah. is there. And then I did make, I called the number one day just to see. I'm like, I just got to see if this is their number. And my father was on the, it's an, I think it's an answering machine, very old school sounding, but it was his voice saying, he named my mom's name. We're not home right now. Link uh-huh. and I aren't home right now. So I was like, this is definitely them. Wow. You know, but I just, I was being patient. I was trying to connect with other cousins just because I wanted to, I didn't know what I was dealing with still. You know, my letter, when you fill out Wisconsin paperwork, you get to write a little letter. Why do I want to do this? And that was very generic because I didn't know. So I didn't even tell them that I wanted identifying information. I just said, oh, thank you for giving me life. You know, I'd like medical information because I didn't know what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Once I got all the information from them and found out, you know, very professional people, highly educated, there was nothing to be afraid of. Then I was more open to saying, okay, I could meet them or talk to them or know them. So in the meantime, I found a cousin on Facebook who's a first cousin. And coincidentally, through some searching, she used to be married to my best college friends, like her friend growing up's brother. So small world. That is small cousin. world. Yeah, we went to college together, not at the same time, the same college. There were all these connections, we were so close. Several of my first cousins went to the same college I did in Wisconsin. Were they open? Like you started writing with her and having a relationship? Well, at first, this first one, my friend contacted her good friend to let her know what was going on. And then my cousin was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, this is a lot to process, but I will get in touch with her. She's an extremely sweet person. But I do think she was very cautiously handling this because she didn't know what to do. So right, we, yeah. we messaged on Messenger and she's like, like, I'm here. I want to talk to you. Just wow. She's like, out of <laughs> respect, I just need to process this. She's like, I have one sister and my dad, her, her mother, my dad's sister, I passed away a couple of years ago. She's like, I just want to talk to them and really process how to move forward with it. You know, and I just Did she tell asked, you if you had any siblings? Well, I already was pretty sure I didn't. But she, oh. yeah, she did say no, that you don't. She basically, you know, confirmed good people, very professional. Um, they moved away. I mean, she loved them, but they didn't really see each other much. They kind of just moved so, away. When we so were they stayed little. together. They stayed together and didn't have a, other children. No other children. It was very career focused. My dad eventually oh. got his PhD. He was a special education middle school teacher. And then worked at a university. And I think he was teaching special education, middle school level educators. I was told he went all over the country and spoke like as a you know, keynote speaker at conferences, things like that. So I found out he was very social, very, everyone I've talked to that's met him, I just have nothing but these amazing stories. I've connected with so many people that knew him. And I feel like when I meet people, they're just overjoyed to hear from me and to be like, wow, I can talk about your dad and share something. So really, you have a, have you not met them yet? Then I was waiting, you know, I communicated with my cousin a little bit. She's like, let me just figure out how to move forward. She said they were good people. I wanted to find out because I had a feeling, my thought was they're very professional, no kids. Are they just going to be the type that are not going to be interested? She's like, sorry, we're not interested. I wanted to get that feeling from her. So we were communicating back and forth. And of course, you know, it's days between communication. You know, she's living her life. I'm waiting, trying to be patient, but, you know, dying. (laughs) 
So it was, I can't remember how many weeks it was, five weeks or so we were, well, from the time when I first talked to the woman at the state, then I get these other results. And then I find my cousin, you know, it took a week for each of these things to happen. So I communicate with my cousin, I'm waiting on her. And then I was doing another search for a first cousin on my mom's side that I had figured out who she was. I grabbed a search angel just online real quick on DNA detectives and was like, can you help me get some contact info on her? She said, sure. And she was looking the info up and then said, do you know who your birth parents are? And I said, yes, I matched with them. I know who they are. But I'm like, go ahead and look for more information because you never know. So she came back and said, I'm so sorry. Your birth father passed away. No. And I was like, no, his name is so common. You have the wrong name. She's like, no, I mean, a couple of days ago. This was Thursday, oh, Monday. Come on. I was like, oh my gosh. So I look and sure enough, there was a very basic obituary that he had passed away on Monday. So I messaged the other cousin, you know, that knew. And I was like, I just have to offer my condolences to you. And she's like, no, I need to offer my condolences to you. I found out he had had a heart attack in his sleep. So <sighs> this couple of weeks, I thought I was just being, you know, extremely kind and patient. He was only 69. He passed away. So we can imagine. That's what you said. You said they were 69. I was thinking, you know, you have some time. Yeah. yeah oh. So I, I hmm. then you just kick yourself. Like the day I called the phone, nobody answered, but I would have kept trying to call because the whole family is like, he would have talked to you. He was just that kind of person. They all think they, I mean, why would they both do their DNA if they weren't looking for me? Unless he. Or at least wanted me. to be found, open to being right. found. Something. My mom worked at, um, you know, the new movie out Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. She worked at the lab, the Los Alamos National Lab that the movie yeah. is based on. So she is a microbiologist. And that was my first bachelor's degree, which is interesting. So she understands DNA. You Google somebody's name and you find out research they've done. And she was involved on some little part of the human genome project. So I know she huh. gets it. Because there's people who have said, even the social work states like, oh, so many people do their DNA and don't even understand what they have. Yeah, she DNA. understood. I'm like, I'm sorry. And I told her that because I know more than her about my parents. She was like, oh, I'm like, no, she, they knew whether she wanted to or not. She knew what she was doing yeah. when it happened. So the social worker tried to get in touch with her more. And my mom just couldn't do it. She was just obviously so sad about losing him. So tragically, the timing was just really bad, I think no other children to help her through the process. And even all my relatives here, I'm connected with a lot of people on my dad's side and few on my mom's side. They all just say like, we feel like we don't know her. She seemed very sweet and kind, but very guarded. Whenever my dad would come home to visit, she would only come if it was something very big. Like there was one wedding over the years and a couple funerals, but otherwise she always had a reason why she couldn't come. It was always him. He was the social. Yeah. And he's the one was who did she, the DNA. Was she from Wisconsin herself or was she from elsewhere? They were both from the south side of Milwaukee area. So they were both from very close areas. I think he maintained a very good relationship with his family. Hers, I think, was very broken from when she left after graduating from high school. There was a several years where I'm told she wasn't talking to her parents maybe talk to one sister. She has two sisters that are younger. That's why nobody knew about me when they were pregnant with me. I still don't 100% know if my dad knew because I don't know if they were in a relationship then. I'm piecing together redacted information and stories from other people. Everyone assumes they did know each other. I mean, they at least knew each other. So we don't know when she says on the letter, I have to talk to my husband. Maybe she has to talk to her husband for two different reasons. Either our daughters right. found us or we had a daughter and I gave her up. Right. So she had said on my paper, she had known him for three years when she got pregnant. And I think that's true because I did find out he was in a band in high school <laughs> and she went to all girls Catholic school, which I did too. Another weird thing. And none of our siblings did just us. So some strange alignments we have and his band would come play there. And I know this because I have a second cousin who went to that high school with a little younger, and she remembers all of this. And on the obituary that was shown to me, this cousin had put a little message saying, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she told this whole story. She gave her name saying, I'm his cousin. I He used to play at my high school, and she named the high school, and I would go see him there. So she gave me all this 
vital information to find her. I'm like, I know what high school she went to. I can find this cousin. And she was very open and welcoming when I found her right away to help me in any way she could. She lived in another state too. So that helped put together all of these pieces. But up to this point, it's been four and a half years and my birthday. Still nothing. Still nothing. I have tried all different ways to connect. I don't want to be overly pushy. The first year I just couldn't push it. I'm like, I sent a letter, but I'm like, I can't do anything else. She's hurting. Oh, you um, did send a letter. Mm-hmm, I did. Oh, okay. It was again, okay. that very generic. Yes. Letter. I don't want to be pushy and intrude. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done other things over the few years, but like I send Christmas cards. I don't get anything back. I don't even put a return address because I'm like, you know, I don't really want them back. And I do, I am in contact with her sister, but her sister never knew. So again, she will not, as far as I know, she will not be the one to interject and say anything. They live states away. This sister lives in Illinois. So we talked on the phone once and then we just text. She sent me pictures and she tries to be really helpful, but it's not the kind of helpful I'm hoping for. But again, it's It's like, it's maybe your your mom is sounds very well first of all I'm sure she was it was a lot of pain she probably went through to give you up and then she may be very a scientific type of mind where she can't really deal with the emotions of this it's mm-hmm. hard yeah Four and, and a do, half years I can't believe it yeah I do think that's a lot of it I just don't and you think okay what things did I try to do that were wrong you know things like that um, I left a voicemail once um, of really? course the first time I had it all planned out written out what to say and then she answers the phone and I panicked because anytime and you I hung up her, I did because I wasn't prepared for it I'm like oh my god that's not what was supposed to happen she doesn't answer the phone so then I hung up so like now what do I do I wait a few minutes I'm like okay I just need to call back and if she answers that's meant to be and then of course she didn't so then I left the voicemail so I've done do all you think these- she knew it was you um, like phone numbers I mean we I see numbers know. come in and we get the feeling it's funny I've been told by cousins who you know have this minimal connection with them that they were very old school. My one cousin that I meet with a lot has said, it was annoying. Your dad didn't even like to text. So I do think they had a landline. And when you listen to the message, it truly sounded like an answering machine versus voicemail. So it's very- Hello, cool. you've reached the home of right. Tom so and I, Jane. Yeah. So I've connected <laughs> with all these different people, gather information. And eventually with my aunt, I just kind of texted her, kind of played her situation because I didn't want to lose contact with her. I felt like she could be a big help to me. And the first couple of years didn't really, other than asking for pictures and questions, I didn't ask her to intervene. You know, she just said, I hope this works. I pray for you. You know, your mom probably is so sad. She can't even say the words. You know, she said all the, typical the nice things, sugar-coated things. Right. And at first I was fine with it. And then we had one year of that. I figured, okay, my mom's had a year to deal with my dad's loss. And then COVID happened. So then uh-huh. I feel like got really weird. You know, everybody was hiding and weird. And, you know, I didn't think that was a good time to really broach it. You know, I sent we sent Christmas cards and did things like that. But again, that was a weird time, too. So I don't know if that helped her heal. And then a couple of years in, I did start asking my aunt if she could. You know, don't you think it'd be good if she knew somebody knew so you could talk? I was kind of hinting around. And she's like, you know, I could never do that. I could never, ever do that. That was her secret if she can't tell me. And oftentimes I wondered, I'm like, are they just lying and they are talking about it? But I feel like my aunt would just tell me that. I I guess my gut is everyone says, why wouldn't they just tell you that they talked about it and she can't do that? It would be very simple. And then I would know. And I would still talk. She probably just doesn't have that close relationship with her to broach that. Right. And she acts like they have this close relationship. But I believe it was one of those over the years up and down, living far away from each other. Neither had children. They were living their own lives. But when my dad died, I think she had to have this close. Like she's like, I call her every day Mm. and started to go visit. But my gut feeling, it wasn't that way before he died, maybe, or maybe Mm -hmm. certain times she would tell me about taking trips out there. But when you talk to others, you're like, "Mm," they're like, I don't know if it was that close or she's just telling you that to make it sound like this nice, everything has to sound nice and happy. So then uh, maybe months later, I broached the topic again. She's like, well, maybe at some point I will, but not at this point. Like I'm not too. So I'm like, okay, it's something. So I just keep that contact with her. But it's again, I get pictures once in a while. It's not helpful to me at all. You know, I. It's so frustrating. I can't stand it for you. It is, and there's nobody (laughs) else that's close with her. People have sent her, 
you know, obviously they all sent her condolence cards when he passed away. She didn't do a funeral or anything. She said he didn't want that. And everyone tried to call and everyone's trying and they'll get the random call. It just, there's very little connection. They're surprised if they get a call back. Usually they don't. They send letters. They don't get anything back. Eventually he passed away. It was April 1st. October 31st was their anniversary date. And that day she finally sent everyone in the family, his family, this little card saying, I'm spreading his ashes at this nature preserve. He like, you know, make a toast at whatever time tonight and know that, you know, that's kind of what they're doing as his memorial. So mm-hmm. they all got that from him. And that was it. That summer, she finally wrote this really nice obituary, which was for me like a biography. It took her months to write it, but it was in their little local paper. Somebody got wind of it and sent it to me. And I'm like, this is great because it tells all these things he did, he did throughout his life. And it was really a nice thing for me to get. And all of his family say, you know, if he were alive, this would be different. This would be such a different That's thing. That's sad. Yeah. And I do believe that. They're even like, yeah. you know, even if she didn't want to, he would. Because it sounded like he came here all the time and visited without her when she didn't want to come. She's but, an extreme introvert, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I do. I think back and I do think it's her trauma. You Right. That's all this story. Yeah, people you know? process, people handle things differently. And we can't guess yes, until we no. know. But Right. I'm guessing on so many things. But when right. you piece all the pieces together from all the different people that connect with me, and nobody is saying like she's just a mean person. She was cold. They're no. all like my cousins have few memories from when they were little, when they still lived in Wisconsin of some holidays. And they said, you know, it was really nice. She would sit and play, remember, play Barbies with us or dolls while the adults were off talking. They had these very minimal memories. Or one cousin, they went to visit them one time in New Mexico and she's like, she let me drive her car, you know, just <laughs> these very they're like she was very sweet and kind but just guarded. And then I think when they all found out about me, they were like this wow. piece that they didn't understand yeah. about her. They're like, this explains a lot. People always wonder why didn't they have kids? My dad was a middle school level educator. He loved kids. You know, there's so many things that didn't make sense, but now I think to them, they're like, wow, this all makes sense. I think honestly, they just worked and focused on their careers. On the weekends, I was told he would go camping and do a lot of stuff sometimes on his own. And he even went to different states to get some of his degrees, like his master's he got in Vermont many years later. So he moved away from her to do that. So I heard they kind of Mm -hmm. had a long distance where they would fly and visit each other. So, and these are all pieced together stories from all cousins, first cousins, distant cousins who just give me all the information that they recall, but it's not a ton. No, it's not a ton. Even I have a cousin on my mom's side. There's only one cousin. She said her parents got divorced, but her dad, when my dad would come visit, would even get together with him for lunch. She's like, my parents were divorced and he would still, my dad would get together with your dad because he just liked him a lot and they would have lunch and she would join them. And she remembered, you know, their political conversations they would have. Um, her dad was very conservative. My dad was very liberal. So she's like, they would have some very you know, lively conversations, but always respectful. So I just hear wonderful stories about him. I feel like Something was telling me that year before to do it when I wanted to do it. Cause that's, you know, he did it that that time. And then even stranger, I found a match came up one day that I never saw before. There was no name on it. So I connected with the person and it happened to be this older man's wife. And she said, oh yeah, a few years ago, he was trying to figure out whose birth father is. He's sick now. He doesn't really care anymore. But I'm like, well, like, do you care if I figure it out? Cause I think I can with a search angel. So through that, I had a distant cousin in California that did a lot of family history. I talked to her and we were trying to figure this out. And I'm like, why don't you send your DNA to my heritage if you want to? And she's like, sure. So we get the results back. It was her dad's half brother that he never knew about. Oh, so interesting. This, this older man, she's like, my her dad had passed away. She's like, he'll never know he had this half brother out there. So mm-hmm. from, you know, the past. So, or was it her? her grandpa, I think it was his half brother. I can't remember how it went, but either way, a very close family member. I said, you know, this is your person. These are close to you. I'm going to let you guys, you know, connect on that. So she connected them. I don't think he ever wanted to meet, but she talked through his wife. So at least he knew who his father was. And then during this process, the wife said to me, she's like, well, somebody was helping us a few years ago do this, but we couldn't figure it out. So we gave up. 
and she's like, yeah, the, uh, a man James in New Mexico was helping us. Ah. And I'm like, that's my birth father. You know, I was adopted. I didn't know. So she's like, yeah, he was super nice trying to figure it out. There were just too many sibling possibilities of who the father could be. There were 13 siblings. So she's like, he never figured it out. He finally gave up because he didn't know about search angels or genealogy. He would have, he definitely, your father would have been into finding you if he's helping other people find people. Yeah. He was literally trying to, and that made me feel good. I'm like, you know what? This job, he didn't finish. I'm sure he would be proud knowing that me with a search angel got to the bottom of this, whether this man really cared now or not, we answered a question. And then my, this cousin in California now knows she has some family, you know, she was able to tell her mom, her dad's no longer alive, but she was able to say, look at, you've got this, you know, family member. And he had been raised with his mom. This man had been raised by his mom. So he knew his mom, but the dad was just, you know, a quick thing. And this man went on to do that other times too. He looked like. (laughs) So back back to you, are you just going to kind of keep what you're doing and reach out once in a while. And yeah, my husband talked to her once, actually it was in 2020, the day before my 50th birthday. So 2020 was kind of a weird year, Mm -hmm. but he knew it was okay to do it, but he didn't tell me he was doing it. He called her and of course the answer machine went on and he left a message and it cut him off and he didn't get his phone number on there. So he called back and then she answered and he's like, Shelly, I knew that she knew it was me. He's like, I feel like it was an answer machine. She could hear it. And she picked up. And they had about maybe a 15 minute conversation. He was very emotional after he came home, kind of teary. And he said, he basically did all the talking. He's like, I just shared about us, our life. We're nice people. Like just said, you would just really like to connect somehow. And he said, she was just very emotional. Didn't say a lot, kind of teary, just like Uh challenging for her to talk. And he eventually knew, okay, I should let you go. But he said, may I tell Shelly that we've talked and she said, yes. And he said, may I call you again someday? And she said, yes, you know, and I don't, I don't know if he left his phone number or not. So he did try to, and then he sent her flowers at Christmas and she took them. So we've been doing that at Christmas, sending flowers. So, so you're getting it's, in it's, there a little, it sounds like, she, you know, <laughs> yeah. yes, just whatever re- she's got thick Deep walls green. and maybe eventually it'll happen. Yeah. So I feel like just time and you never know what somebody's time frame is. And I, right, exactly. Some, some days I get mad or frustrated, but I have to remind myself also that there's a time when I didn't want this either. So, what would I have done if they would have come to me 20, 30 yeah. years ago? I don't know how I would have handled it. Now I decided it's my time. And the timing was horrible for her. Certainly, I didn't intend on that. And there are people that think, well, this is perfect. She would have you. She has literally nobody else other than her cats and my aunt far away. So it seems like a perfect time, but my gut is just the shame and guilt are getting her. And my cousins, there was the one cousin she talked to after my dad died. She would talk to her every couple of weeks. But I really feel that like she didn't want to call anybody here. She was so traumatized by his death that she gave her kind of the job of, can you tell people? So my cousin did that for her, gave her email addresses, phone numbers, told people for her. And then eventually she sent that little thing, you know, saying she was having a little memorial. And then after that, she did not call my cousin. My cousin and I are pretty close. We meet every month or so. And she too, one time my mom said to her, I'm just so lonely. I just, since I never had kids and my cousin's like, I was just dying to say something, but she's like, it was too soon. This was just a couple months after my dad had died. So then my cousin continues to call her and she never calls back. She never calls back. So get everyone's back in this like she's in this won't talk to anybody thing. And my cousin's like, maybe she knows that you and I have talked, you know, I don't know, but she won't call back. Then this past Christmas, my cousin texts me at Christmas. She's like, you'll never believe who called me today. And I'm like, well, I can guess. <laughs> so we talked and she told me that my mom said she called all three girl cousins on that side. Two of them answered. The other one didn't answer. It was Christmas day. I thought that was very interesting. She got the courage to call all three of them on Christmas day. The one that didn't answer, I had lunch with her right after Christmas. And she's like, I'm calling her today when I get home. She called her and had to leave a voice and still has not heard from her all this time again. And when the cousin that did talk to my mom, my mom said, I want to try to keep in touch more. I want, you know, to be better about that. My cousin's like, you should come visit Wisconsin sometime. And they had a really nice conversation about a lot of things. And then again, now she's not answering her calls. Well, yeah, she doesn't want to be pushy. You know, she, she's like, I maybe call once a month and leave a voicemail. 
he doesn't want to be bothersome, but so it's interesting. It is. <laughs> is all I can say. I just think she's very closed off. I who knows what she's wondering. An older relative did send a letter. The cousin that I found via the first obituary, mm-hmm. her father is a deacon. He just turned 90. And when this all happened, he was like, This is great, you know. So he sends her a letter of condolences. And also asking like what the burial plans are because he's very Catholic. Not maybe realizing my parents, I think were kind of hippies. That wasn't their thing to be mm-hmm. Catholic anymore. And then he brought up me in this letter saying, you know, she found us and she's wonderful. What a wonderful thing for you. I think God did this. You know, she has a wonderful family. So he had the best heart doing that, but he did it. I think like this was the month that my dad died. So who knows how she Yeah, <laughs> might have been a, taken a little bit like people know my business and Yeah, and he did like I didn't know he did this till after he did it. He told oh, me and yeah. then like what am I gonna do? I'm like he had a good heart. It's not like I wouldn't have definitely told him if you he can't control it. No. Right. I would have said no. I did not think he would do that, but he thought he was helping. So who knows if some of these things have made her unhappy, but in the long run it's like it's been four and a half years, you know. I mean well, people, don't handle things the right way. I hope that wouldn't right. she be holding a grudge on. No, it does. Yeah, I can't imagine. Will you please keep us posted Thanks. on what happens? Because I'm yeah. sure that there will be more. There to will. Tell. Yeah. yeah, I think there's so much more to happen. I hope. And I, there's so like I've had so many serendipitous things happen through this process. So many people I found via Facebook that either lived in her small town that I've connected with, even an adoptee and like the community used to live there. So I mean, I've had. Just the things that have happened. I'm like, the universe wants this. <laughs> There's yeah. only one person that I feel like doesn't want this. Or yeah. not yet. Right. Not or not yet. yet. Just isn't ready. Yeah. At one point, I connected with the social worker again. And I stopped doing that because I don't think they're helpful. I almost feel like they unintentionally made it worse for her. Yeah. I feel like maybe it brings back trauma. Having the They probably treat her a certain way. It's like a weird yeah. system. They send you certified letters. They do all these things. So if I could do it over, I would have just kept them out of it because I don't think they're helping. And I've heard a lot of other people from my state. We all know the same people that work on the cases. And there has been a lot of similar stories. And Mm. I think the person who works there now probably doesn't really like many of us anymore because we have there's a group in in Wisconsin. (laughs) They asked her to come and talk to us about. So she thought she was coming to talk to us about helping people search. And when she came, half the people in the group had already searched via Mm. the Zoom and had things that they weren't happy about. So I think she left this situation feeling very like, whoa, this was not good. But I think it was good. We needed to tell her that. And I think the powers that be heard that. And after that, they wanted more information from us about. Okay, good. I don't know if it'll change, but I think it was good, even though she wasn't happy about it. And hopefully she learned something. Is well, Fred, I mean, is, this is, yeah, it's not about her feelings. I mean, right. like, hello. Hello. Yeah. Is Fred Nakora in that group? He comes to the group sometimes. Yeah. I see him post about this. Yeah. yeah. And there's, <laughs> we love Fred. Yeah. Fred's awesome. So he's a part of my Adoptees Connect group that I co facilitate. But yeah, it's always on days that he has. So he goes to different places to sell his products. So he hasn't been able to attend. But yeah, there's so many people. We all have had the same negative experience with the system and not to blame any of the staff but the system is horrible it's a system that's horrible yeah and they are covering their butts but i do think you can be compassionate and cover your 100 percent. yeah and we were all able to voice that to her and it, it felt so good it was the best feeling i've ever had after this meeting i know she wasn't happy after and oh, it doesn't well, mean the will change but i hope it helped her in the future how she deals with other people yeah. And I know she did talk to my mom again. I did reach out again at, I think it was in 2020 as well. Like right before my husband called, I reached out to her and she was going to kind of initiate another attempt. And again, she talked to my mom and my mom was just very teary and sad. And she did say, your mom just said, she's like, she's not ready. She needs to figure out her life. And, you know, and then she asked my mom about doing DNA. Cause I think my mom might alluded to, well, how does she even know this stuff? And she's like, well, you do know you did your DNA, like, and then she was like, like, oh yeah, I forgot we got it as a Christmas gift. So I don't know if she, that was like she was in denial or she was just kind of lying to the social worker because she hadn't shared it. 
But it gives well, me hopefully feeling. you're going to get these answers, not third party yeah, at some I point. Hope I'm so. going to, and please do just keep us posted. It was really wonderful to have you and hear your story. It's so intertwined and really great. Yep. So we just wait, but my final, my husband's really concerned that I'm going to regret because something's going to happen to her. And he's worried about that. He's like, you know, you're so upset. You didn't call your dad. Now what? Like, how long do you wait? If you need to see her before you just go. So that is my next plan is that I'm just going to go there. I feel like. I was going to ask you if you were going to go there. I can't change what she does. I'm not expecting anything positive to come from that. Other than for me to be able to say, I need to see you in the flesh. And now I can say I've seen you. And if that changes her in any way, great. If she doesn't, at least that's my piece that I've seen you. My door's always open. And. I'll at least have that. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's hard because I mean, the pictures we see that I've gotten from everybody. I mean, we look so much alike. It scares my husband and my sons. They're like crazy. Even her. I was going to say one thing that she may see a little bit of her husband in you as well. That may be very painful. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I thought. And why I'm like, in one way, maybe it's cool. People think it's good, but it could hurt because I look at his pictures and I definitely see things. And I think she would see much more. She'll be the one that will look and say, whoa. But she and I, it's kind of scary, like twins. (laughs) So I need to see that. I mean, somebody that looks that much like me, maybe Mm -hmm. if she didn't, I wouldn't feel as compelled to see her. But knowing that, I'm like, I need to see you in the flesh just one day. Please tell us if you do it. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I won't tell anyone before I go because I don't want anyone. Yes, tell us. Any of the family to somehow, not that anyone would tell her, but. It's going to have to be kind of a top-secret mission. Yeah. Incognito. <laughs> right. Exactly. She's used to top-secret missions with her Los Alamos. She understands top-secret missions. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank so you, Shelly, so much for coming on. Really appreciate your sharing and your vulnerability. Really, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you on the socials. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> no. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Bye. 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 That was fascinating about DNA, ancestry and DNA sites, hello, but also just sad about the dad right away finding and then weeks into it. later, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. believe that? Hopefully her birth mother will come around. It sounds like she probably will. It's just, who knows how long someone's grief process, you know, that sounds right. like this was the love of her life and then. She's all alone and she's grappling with that. And, and yeah, I hope. And it, then all your shame bubbles up and your, mm-hmm. but she is still communicating with people dabbling. And then the social worker called her and the husband and then she answered. I think it's going to change. Hopefully so. Well, so, what, what do we, we say? say? <laughs> Another great episode. <laughs> Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.